The Last Word with Matt Cooper. And it's time for the Culture Club. Now, I'm joined today by the chairman of Clada Records, James Morrissey, who has written a special book, Real to Real, Garrick Brown and Clada Records, which is accompanied by a vinyl box set celebrating the life of the Guinness Air Garrick Brown. So from that vinyl box set, let's hear a little bit from The Fox Chase by Leo Rossum. Morrissey, tell us a little bit about the album and your book in particular. Well, it, it, it had its origins going way back in time when I was a student in UCD and uh, I got a part-time job working in Spotlight magazine, which was set up by John Coughlin from your own city of Cork and um, got a job there, £4.80 a week. And in my travels... It was great because you were a part-time student, part-time worker, and there were lots of receptions going on. In fairness, James, I know you a long time, and by reputation, you were very much a part-time student. I think it took you a record number of years to finish your degree in UCD. Five years to get get a three-year qualification, and I think in the end that they probably felt that I didn't deserve the degree other than that I had paid enough in, in, in fees <laughs> uh, and I'd, 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 serve, I'd, serve, I'd, I'd serve my dues. But you got a better apprenticeship with Spotlight, didn't you? Oh, it was wonderful. Uh, because you met all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds and it was in that whole social thing in Dublin, whether it was Madigan's upstairs in Donnybrook or the Taylor's Hall, that's where I encountered uh, Garrett Brown for the first time. And going back further, he lived in Mayo in his early years and my father used to bring me over to uh, Castle McGarrett, this massive estate that, that his father owned, Lord Ornmore and Brown. And uh, he, my father purchased apples and honey at this time of year. So when I met him then later on, uh, when it was a spotlight, first thing he said was that Spotlight magazine did not serve the traditional Irish music sector very well and that I should do something about it. And we kind of kept in contact over, over many years. And... Um, I'd meet him from time to time. I mightn't see him for years. And then around 2015, I met him in, in Dublin one day, happened to meet him, and he asked me would I go out to Lugalaw uh, for a chat. Uh, about Lugalaw was his home in Wicklow, wasn't Lugalaw it? Lugalaw was his home in Wicklow, which was given to his mother as a wedding present by her father, who was one of the Guinnesses. Um, and Garrett moved there with his younger brother, Tara, uh, and his mother when the marriage broke up and they left Mayo. And of course, Tara was the subject of the Beatles song, A Day in the Life. And Paul Howard wrote the fantastic book about the life of Tara. Yes, and uh, Tara's death um, in the mid-1960s, the same year that he celebrated his 21st birthday, I think that Garrett never, ever got over the loss of his brother. I think he was certainly the closest to him. And I think that maybe after Tara's death, that he immersed himself more in 
the business as much as it was of Clatter Records and recording Irish artists. And I think Garrett found the escape from, from the loss and he wanted to do something with his life. And I suppose somebody who grows up with having everything they want is always looking for something that whatever they want doesn't give to them. And Garrett decided his mission was going to be to preserve the spoken word and traditional Irish music. So tell us a little bit about what you put into the book. Uh, I, When I started working with Garrett on the book, he gave me access to all the files. And every single box I opened revealed more materials from various people, letters from Samuel Beckett, original contracts. And in addition then, there were 50 boxes of recordings from the 1950s onwards in the bank, in the vaults in the Bank of Ireland. And here was a treasure trove that was just being locked in the past and we decided to unlock it. And, sorry, just tell us a little bit more about the book. So who did you get all the contributions for in the book to tell uh, the story of Clatter Records? Mainly from interviews with Garrett while he was alive and people who knew him. And then uh, when he passed, uh, I approached uh, President Higgins, uh, Bono, uh, his housekeeper, Margaret Trainer, uh, and several friends, Anthony Palliser, the portrait painter, and his, his driver come houseman, a man from England uh, called John Wellsby. And they really give emotion to the life of this unique individual and the sad sides of to his life and, and the celebrations in his life. But what an extraordinary array of friends as well for the parties he used to have. I mean, I'm looking at a list here which has the likes of Mick Jagger, Picasso, uh, <laughs> Lucian Freud, Pierce Brosnan and Sean Connery, two James Bonds, Kofi Annan. It's an extraordinary list of people that he became friendly with. Well, I suppose if you have a, a magnificent house in a wonderful setting and you're hosting parties... It, People will come. It's, it's hard to resist. His mother, Lady Unigin, has said, everybody is welcome to our house as long as they're not boring. <laughs> and tell us then about the tracks on the LP, the Clatter Collection LP. You've got 17 remastered tracks on it. Yes, and again, we picked a selection of the artists that were recorded by, by, by Garrett. Uh, spoken word, uh, music... Uh, a wonderfully evocative uh, performance of Port Nabuki by, by Ronan Brown. Leo Rosam is there. The Chieftains are there. We really want to highlight what, what gems or nuggets were there. Obviously, you can only have a, a limited number, but I think it, ref it reflects the, the great body of work that, that, is, that is there. It sounds like you are great fun doing this. Uh, when you get to a certain stage in your life, this really came out of the blue and I would say uh, one of the most enjoyable journeys, voyages uh, that I've ever undertaken. And you did it quicker than you finished your degree? I did much quicker than I finished my degree and uh, slightly shorter than the amount of time that I spent working in the business post with you in the very early days. <laughs> we should have made that clear that we're all colleagues from the very first editions of the business post in the first number of years there. I remember the decision being taken by Aileen O'Toole with the recommendation of Aileen O'Toole, Damien Kybert and McCluskey's in Donnybrook. She said, there's this great young reporter called Matt Cooper. We should, we should, we should recruit him. Ah, get away. Get away. True. Anyway, listen, let's talk about your choices for the Culture Club. And your first single is uh, from 
a classic album that some people regard as being possibly the greatest album of all time. Uh, yes, uh, between that and Sgt. Pepper, there would be a great t- tussle uh, in the minds of many people. And again, I've gone way back in time because I think the greatest influences in our lives uh, tend to be, for a lot of us, music. For other people, it's it's highlights and sporting events. I think music kind of captures. I can remember where I was when the first time I heard a particular track such as this. Which is from the Pet Sounds album by the Beach Boys. Here's Sloop John B. We come on the Sloop John B. My grandfather and me. Around Nassau town we do run. Drinking all night. Got into a the swinging 60s the Beach Boys and Pet Sounds so with that album and the Beatles you said Sgt Peppers I mean, very much of their era how well do you feel have they continued to live on? I think the amount of music of from today or of today that is influenced by classics from the 60s and 70s is is quite incredible and the number of young people who have these and the Rolling Stones and so many others on their playlists in, in, in back in 1966 which was my first year in, in, in boarding school you automatically despised the music that your parents liked it was just whatever they liked was no good even if it was good you, you, you didn't like it but it, how, the, how this has, con, has continued for so many groups so many acts and again I suppose back to some of the Irish artists and and how these sounds move from one generation to another as they reflect on um, the, the time, the the exuberance of youth, and and all of that. I think it reflects on all of us. Let's go for your favourite album. You've nominated the Mamas and Papas' greatest hits. Yes, because it was the first album that, uh, sorry, their their album, their first album was the first album I ever bought and I thought that they had something unique and, and again, they were recently featured in um, a documentary Echo in the Canyon by Bob Dylan's son, uh, all about, again, the music of the 60s and 70s, how in the canyon in north of Los Angeles 
they all gathered the birds, Crosby, Stills, Nash and, and Young, the Mamas and Papas, the huge influence that Mama Cass Elliot had, and John Sebastian, the Loving Spoonful, all of that, it was... I think it stays, it, it stays with you. It clearly has stayed with you. Let's have Dream a Little Dream. Birds singing in the sycamore tree Dream a little dream of me said a few moments ago when you're an adolescent you don't like the music your parents like so I haven't heard that I'd say I don't know 45 50 years and now I realize just how good it is yeah and interestingly enough in the middle of it later on you can hear Mama Cass Elliot saying the word John and that's to John Lennon who she was obsessed with okay you have as a band favorite band or favorite artist given us fast domino Yes, one of the great rockers. Oh, my goodness. How that guy could tinkle the ivories back in New Orleans. And uh, again, it was, it was the emergence of, of, of rock and roll and thumping piano. And it really got, it really got you going. And it's, and it's, again, that evocative thing which, which has, not, has not been lost in any shape or form. He, it would be a huge influence. And he was, he was very mono in the songs that he he. he, he performed, they were just thumping good loud music that got you going Let's hear from 1957 Blue Monday That's Fats Domino with Blue Monday. And I just, to finish the music, I want to get a best gig from you. You must have seen many, many gigs over the years, particularly when you were with Spotlight magazine. 
the best gig was the Rolling Stones in Slane when I was working in independent newspapers. This is the mid-1980s, isn't This it? is the mid-1980s and they played at Slane and uh, we proposed t- to Jim Aiken that the independent would co-sponsor the event. Jim would have received large amounts of money to, to advertise the event. We said we will, won't charge for anything but let us put our logo on it. And uh, that's how one of the first sponsorships for any concert ever came about. Jim then invited me up to Slane the day before the concert, and he says, come up and have a look around. And um, sitting on the banks of, of the Slane, um, who was there but Mick Jagger, and he asked for a couple of cans of ice beer, and Jim Aiken, Mick Jagger, and yours truly sat there for a couple of hours. And he was, again, I was hugely impressed by the, the intelligence of the guy his cop on, his astuteness, and he certainly has proven that in so many respects. Over Let's decades. hear a little bit of the Rolling Stones live. Give me shelter. Track. Now, before we take the break, I have to say I'm surprised there's one track you haven't given me, James, because I know you do a mean version of American Pie start to finish, as I heard many Friday nights in a pub that's long gone from down the Keys, the Quill. You used to do that nearly every Friday night. Well, I didn't want to impose that on you again, Matt. You've heard it so many times, sung in a very, very poor way by oh, a very no, poor no, performer. We're able to do it very well. We'll be back with the rest of the Culture Club with James Morrissey after this. Welcome back. James Morrissey is with us, the chairman of Clatter Records, who has just brought out a new book, Real to Real, uh, Garrett Brown and Clatter Records, as well as a special 17-track remastered LP, Masters of Their Craft. James, let's get away from the music, though, and uh, movies. You've gone for quite a recent movie as your favourite, The Banshees of Inisherin. I have because I think it reflects in some kind of a maybe even tenuous way the ever increasing globally emergence of Irish culture and I do think there's a connect there going back to Garrett Brown and to Gwailin uh, and to other the greater all the greater organisations uh, people like um, Kieran McMahuna Pontius O'Connellan, that what we have in this country, which really was born out of, in more recent 
centuries, post-famine where people sat around fires and entertained each other, singing, reciting, performing, telling stories. And the Banshees of Inshirn is very, it's, it is today, but it's also yesterday, it's yesteryear, it's, it's last century. And I think that continuity that is there is so evident in so many forms of the arts that we have. And to me, Brendan Gleeson is one of the greatest actors that has come out of this country. You know, when you look at Mr. Mercedes, um, The Guard, uh, The Banshees, I mean, I've never been a person who's gone to a, to a play or to see a film to see a particular performer. I'll go for the storyline or who I think I will like other than Brendan Gleeson. He, I just, I, the guy has something incredibly unique, and I, but I can't put my finger on it. Let's hear a little bit of, of him in action with Colin Farrell, who is possibly his best part that he's played to date in Martin McDonagh's Banshees of Inisherin. I was too harsh yesterday. Yesterday, he says. I know well you was too harsh yesterday. And today, I just... Uh, I just have this tremendous sense of time slipping away in me, Parag. And I think I need to spend the time I've left thinking and composing. Just try not to listen to any more of the dull things that you have to say for yourself. But I'm sorry about it. I am like... Are you dying? No, I'm not dying. But then you've loads of time. For chatting. Aye. For aimless chatting. Not for Amos Chapman, for good, normal Chapman. So, we'll keep aimlessly chatting, and my life will keep dwindling, and in 12 years I'll die with nothing to show for it, bar the chats I've had with a limited man, is that it? I said not aimless chatting. I said good, normal chatting. To the night. Two hours you spent talking to me about the things you found in your little donkey's shite that day. Two hours, Parig. I timed it. Well, it wasn't me little donkey's shite, was it? It was me pony's shite, which shows how much you were listening. None of it helps me. Do you understand? None of it helps me. I'm going to have to go and watch that movie again. It's terrific. No, it's magnificent. And again, it's the summation of, of, of what we are, who we are, but hugely important for the young generation and future young generations, that we have something that is unique. I'm not saying that the talent is unique, but we have we have a culture that's very, very rich. And if it does encourage young people to, to, to perform, to sing, to play, to read and to write, and, and write and go off and publish and not always go the conventional route through life, go for it. Which brings us on to your favourite play, which is Playboy of the Western World. Oh, yeah, well, anything to do with singing in the West of Ireland. I mean, I'm... Sorry, I should have said you're a Kilty Mob man. I'm a Kilty Mob Kilty man with a great affection for Connemara. And I'm, you know, I, the more, the older I get, the more I, in my head and in my heart, I go back there. Because uh, I just, I, I always think that the, you know, the, the rawness of rural life um, and, and the seasons and nature... Uh, Really have something hold something special, and even if the even if the weather is dreary, you know there's all there are always things to uplift you. We have a clip from Playboy of the Western World from the Druid in 2005, a scene with Christy Mahan and Peggy and Mike. Let you stretch out now by the fire, young fellow. You should be destroyed, travelling. Why, surely walking wild eleven days, 
and wake and fearful in the night. You should have had great people in your family, I'm thinking, with the little small feet you have. <laughs> and you with the kind of quality name, the like of what you'd find on the great powers and potentates of France and Spain. We were great, surely, with wide and windy acres of rich monster land. Wasn't I telling you? And you a fine, handsome young fellow with a noble brow. Is it me? Hi. <laughs> did you never hear that from the young girls where you come from, in the west or south? I did not. Oh, they're bloody liars in the naked Paris rye-grow, man. <laughs> That's Playboy of the Western World. And I want to move to book or author because you have chosen Patrick Kavanagh, one of our great poets. Why? Uh, because we all sat at, on cold seats in cold classrooms and we weren't, I certainly wasn't able to make a lot of sense of what anything or everything was about as a young teenager. You're, you're all over the place. You're thinking this, you're thinking that, and you're not good at school. And then along comes somebody who can mix soil and soul, who is deeply spiritual, and he he sees the spiritual in the earth and in the flowers. Oh, I think Kavanaugh is, Kavanaugh is, to me, uh, he's, he's my favourite poet of all. Let's hear a little bit from The Great Hunger. Applause, applause, the curtain falls. Applause, applause, from the homing carts and the trees and the bowling cows at the gates, from the screeching water hens and the mill race heavy with the llamas' floods curving over the weir. A train at the station blowing off steam and the hysterical laughter of the defeated everywhere. Night and the futile cards are shuffled again Maguire spreads his legs over the impotent cinders that wake no manhood now, and he hardly looks to see which card is Trump. His sister tightens her legs and her lips and frizzles up like the wick of a nihilist lamp. The curtain falls. Applause, applause. And when Patrick Kavanagh was recording for Garrett Brown, a number of people said to Garrett Brown, do not record Patrick Kavanagh reading his own poetry because he has a very guttural, broad, Monaghan accent. It won't sell. And Garrett said, there's only one way that you record the work of a poet is the poet reading his own work. Thankfully that exists. Exactly. And there's something else. We're getting to television. Before I get back to what sort of was your childhood favourite, I want to stay in the sort of similar theme because I know you love not just Connemara and the West Wing, you love the islands, don't you? So you've picked out a TV show from this year by Owen Warner, the RT show Ireland's Wild Islands. What attraction do the islands hold to you? I think, again, there is something incredibly evocative about them, their stories, their history, uh, how some of them became or many of them became uninhabited because... They weren't habitable uh, in the way in which people need to live and should live and access to schools. But they again, they have spawned great culture. Uh, they've spawned great writers. Uh, and again, 
during the difficulties, uh, post-famine, wars, troubles, neighbour fighting, neighbour, poverty, extreme poverty, that capability, that capacity, not unique to Ireland, but the, the, the place I know best, was able to spawn these great writers, uh, these painters, these artists, whose legacy is part of us today, and we must never lose it. Let's hear a little bit of Owen Warner, though, presenting that show. In a small corner of the Atlantic, on Europe's farthest fringe, are some of the most spectacular islands on Earth. by storms and shrouded in mist. Our hidden worlds, many believe, spawn the legends of High Brazil and Atlantis. Magical kingdoms on the very edge of the abyss, where nature still runs free. My name is Owen Warner, and I've spent my life traveling the length of Ireland in search of its precious wild places and the elusive animals that make them their home. I'm almost halfway down Ireland's west coast and with winter on the horizon, I'm heading into one of the most challenging stages of this island adventure. Would it be right from thinking that during your time as a journalist you would have been one of the very few who ever would have gotten out to the infamous Inishvikalan when Charlie Ahi owned it? Uh, I did. I inveigled my way out there. Uh, it took it took a certain amount of effort. I think it was achieved on the basis that I was very interested in the islands and that the islands of Connemara particularly and that I was interested in the comparisons, if there were, between the islands like the Blaskets and Colorado, and that 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 secured for me an invitation. And I do remember one story he told about Kieran McMahona and his wife Dolly McMahon, and Garrett Brown and a young Princess Perna, who was Garrett's later his wife, and they spent an afternoon talking about a tune called Port Nabuki, the Song of the Fairies, which beyond all music is one of the greatest pieces of Irish music and it's all it's called the Song of the Fairies but Roger Payne from National Geographic came to Nishvigalon in the late 1970s and he identified the music that the, the musicians and fishermen on Nishvigalon in Figalon thought was the music of the fairies was actually the sound of whales and whale music coming up through the canvas on the chorus they're in. And that is, whale music has become famous worldwide as a result of Roger, Roger Payne. And we discovered since that whales can communicate to each other in music up to 3,000 kilometres. Wow. Well, that brings us brilliantly to the buried treasure at the end because you have something that nobody has recommended to us previously. It's a very special tape you have with the sound of what? It's the sound of the Atlantic... Uh, in all its unforgivingness, uh, in all its wrath, uh, crashing on the rocks uh, beside where I go in, in Connemara in Tleggan, and that relentless crashing of the sound every couple of minutes. And if you want something to put you to sleep, <laughs> when the wor- when the world is troubling you, 
the sounds of those waves will do will deal for you. James Morrissey, thank you so much for joining us for the Culture Club. The new book is Real to Real, Gareth Brown and Clara Records. And as I said, there's also a special accompanying uh, 17-track LP, Masters of Their Craft, the Clada Collection LP with it. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today.